The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Welcome. Welcome to the Haunted Estate. Hello and welcome back to the Haunted Estate with me and... Hi, it's Joel. Who literally is my co-host at this point. I don't feel like there's any flow that be smoother than this, guys. First, I just want to start this episode by saying that the absolute most magical thing happened to me the other day. Um, As you guys know, because it's literally commented everywhere... We love Garrett Watts. Garrett Watts is literally one of my favorite creators. Everyone comments that we are kind of the exact same person on the inside, which I agree with. I feel like we're both just zany and fun and passionate. And um, I actually got to talk to him the other day. So the fangirl was over the top. So might be coming on the podcast. Maybe. I'm not going to set in stone, but we did have a little chat, which was super magical. But guys, today's episode is going to be um, a little bit different. If you follow me on Instagram, then you know that I kind of asked for your darkest stories and your confessions. And I want to say the stories today were not pre-read. They were not um, screened. I just randomly clicked on certain ones. So if you hear your story, thank you. If you do not also thank you, I'm sure it will make it into another episode. I feel like I need to explain why I have chosen to do a rather dark episode. I feel like we're sliding out of summer and sliding into fall and winter pretty quickly. And along with that comes a seasonal depression. I feel like every season has a depression. When do you feel the bluest? Do you have like a uh, seasonal affective disorder acronym SAD? Uh, definitely when the sun sets at like where we live in the world, like 4 p.m. So you're just, you, you get depressed every day. You're not seasonal. It's just every day. When the sun sets at 4 p.m. Oh, okay. That's so when the, you get sad. The winter. Yeah. Like you drive to work in darkness. The sun comes up, you're at work, and then the sun sets before you drive home. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god that's the sad man okay so the way i remember because we, we we both used to work in this car factory together called cami and you would have to be at work for seven and you'd get out at like three 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 fifteen is when you kind of left 
and in the deep winter like when we come in about what like january by three o'clock it's dark the sun has set. so like you're walking in in pitch black and you're walking out and it's already getting dark so that's always kind of hard right now currently it's pitch black by like six o'clock mm-hmm. i woke up this morning to let max out um and uh it was seven o'clock and it was dark dude like it was so dark it's 8 15 right now and it's been dark for over two hours it's 8 15 it's 8 15 guys my days are insane we started our day at like 10 and we have yet to stop i keep feeling like i'm gonna throw up um i love my job it's completely on or completely off kind of vibe but um yes so why i wanted to do a dark episode it was not to be shocking and you know for the wrong reasons i didn't want to be i didn't want to glamorize terrible things i feel like i need to say this ahead of the time when i was a teenager i was obsessed with chicken chicken soup for the soul do you remember those books yeah actually i have an interesting fact about that selena is published her first obviously but her first ever publication what grade four i was like seven years old so maybe so yeah okay they used to be poetry books right and selena had a poem published when she was like seven years old that's crazy that's when her writing career started it was in a book called blue skies and butterflies it now, wasn't in a chicken soup no that's okay i was about to ask him like what what were you talking I about i swear it was in a chicken soup no it was called in a book it was in a book called blue skies and butterflies wow i thought it was in a book called chicken soup I should my mom and dad should have like known then that I was gonna like why would they not push that you're clearly into literature and writing like okay so this is this is a good little segue into a story so when I was a kid my mom I've been stuttering a lot lately I go through these weird phases of um stuttering a little bit Joel and I also have a form of Tourette's (laughs) both of us we both have ADHD we both have just like a bunch of stuff going on but um when I was younger, my mom used to read me books. So she didn't understand that she was supposed to be like teaching us to read. So instead she like read me books every night. I was her first kid. She didn't know this. She thought, read to them. Okay, I'll read to her. So she read to me and then I got into this class and they're like, why can't she like read? And mom's like, oh, well, I read to her. And I'm like, no, like you're supposed to be teaching her to read. So my mom got me a tutor and I picked on, on it so quick. And I was a bookworm. Do you remember going to the libraries on Sundays? Oh, yeah. So we would go to the libraries and I would get a stack. Of, I would go to Young Adult and I would get this this stack of books. And I would sit in the tub. I'd sit outside. I would read. I read, 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 read. But my grades weren't that great. So my parents ended up taking me to like a specialist. And this specialist was like, okay, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to level with you. I think your daughter has central autoray processing issues. My parents was like, what that? And um, he said, if you were to talk about bears and switch to butterflies quickly, I wouldn't pick up the change. So I got tested. They're like, yeah she has it she she definitely has it that's just how it's gonna be gonna be honest with you guys she's she's not gonna do good in school she's gonna kind of be a failure to thrive she's gonna be kind of slow i mean clearly they were wrong (laughs) but (laughs) well here's the thing i i feel like you know i i absolutely i love my parents and you know growing up you know they were tasked with with a huge thing with with my mom getting so sick um she has ms you know we spent a lot of our childhood in and out of hospitals with her third stage progressive multiple sclerosis that's where we're at now Mm -hmm. right there's been a lot of times where we almost lost our mom we've we've been through times where the doctors were telling her you can't go home you can't burden your family like this and and it was it was a lot Mm -hmm. (laughs) um so 
that was kind of the thing so they were dealing with a lot so like it we we they did as much as they could you know we had i did swimming you did like karate taekwondo what else did you do baseball baseball bicycle bread yeah but like they were so busy and like they kind of got told that like failure to thrive or whatever like i wasn't gonna i wasn't gonna achieve anything like my mom used to be like i just want you to be average people need to flip burgers like she she and that's the thing that i love about my mom she's not one of those people that's like be a doctor but um i feel like you know when i had like these little things it was just kind of like oh good for you but it wasn't kind of taken seriously because my parents just kind of always thought I was slow. And when I say slow, I don't mean that in a disrespectful way. It's just literally what they were told. Like, the 90s was a different time, my dudes. The early 2000s. Like, I think about the things. But, like, in classes, like, I wasn't made to write down my notes. And I had to sit in the front row. And, like, I I still took, like, when in Canada, in high school, you take... There's these different levels, okay? So, there's essential, which was for how what's the way to say this that's like it was PC. essential math it was essential math which is weird because they actually taught you like the important stuff like doing taxes and mortgaging a house but that was the math that was kind of set aside for people who were in special needs classes who and you stuff would like expect that. to do essential math okay there you go um but then there were applied classes which were your college classes and then there were academic classes which were your college university uni- sorry college university kind of set classes um and i did a mix i i did a mix of applied and academic like i I was never in you know um what were those classes called dsc or there was yeah but you know what i mean and there's there's (laughs) nothing wrong with being in those classes but i wasn't but i had a free period in grade 12 i had finished all my things i had this free period i'm like i'm not gonna just sit in the library so i decided hey i'm gonna take essential math because i'm really bad at math and I took it in grade uh, 11 and it blew my mind, dude. I learned how to mortgage a house. I learned how to like all of this stuff. And now like all those math classes I took, which I've never used. The only stuff that I've ever used is what I learned in grade 11 essential math, which I think was actually grade nine essential mm. math. Um, I remember panicking in high school trying to remember quadratic formula. Have you ever needed that, Joel? To this day, I worked six years at an engineering firm. I never used quadratic formula. Not one time. I have never used long division. I have <laughs> used I have used my calculator for basic multiplication, adding, and subtraction. That's it. Like just before this, I was doing like a little woodworking project for Selena to elevate her couch. I use like addition and subtraction. <laughs> yeah, like I've never needed that. Like, so if your kids are in high school, just do that essential math. Like, honestly, it helped me the most with my life. But sorry, I'm going to switch back in there about the whole reading thing. And uh, I, uh, I fell in love with this series of books, which was Chicken Soup for the Soul. But for me, I dealt with a lot of things growing up, especially into my teenagehood and stuff like that. I'm like my young adult. But I love these books because they were these short stories about people's lives. But for me, there was a lot of good stories in there. I was never drawn to those. So I, my favorite one ever was Chicken Soup, uh, Tough Stuff. And it was about, it was teenagers and they had told like their hardest stories. So, you know, people who were dealing with, you know, I'm going to say this. I, sorry, I want to take a break. I want to say this really, really quick. If you do have any i know using the word triggers is is not like a good word anymore i know it's kind of like um content warning this podcast is definitely going to be full of that so if if you are sensitive to those kinds of things this is definitely not the episode for you i know for a fact i've asked for dark stories and confessions i'm sure there will be you know 
sexual assault, murder. Um, do you have that on there? I'm whole, I'm, um, I'm eating there. disorders. Like I'm sure there's going to be a lot here, but again, I found not peace in reading these people's stories, but peace in the fact that there were people out there that were dealing with things that were so hard and they were still holding on and sharing their story and going forth. So with this episode, I'm hoping that these stories, maybe you'll find peace in it. Maybe you'll hear someone who was like you. Sometimes just hearing things makes you see the world in a different way. Oh, totally. I know you see the world in a different way after what happened recently. Oh, all the time. Yeah. Uh, my, my brother's friend, you want to tell them about your friend? You can change his name. No, I just, whatever. His name is Cody. Good friend of mine. Grew up with him. Farm kid. Uh, he just died recently. Uh, loved the guy to death. One of my best friends in high school. Always, I would describe him as pushing the envelope. <laughs> driving yeah. too fast. Yeah. I'll give you an idea of this guy. Like, I went to like a real hick country school, right? Like behind his pickup, behind his seat in his pickup truck when we we're like 16, 17, he had a case of Fruitopia, but the Fruitopia was filled with Coors Lights. <laughs> you know, it was like eight o'clock in the morning in a yep. high school parking lot and he's drinking beer. <laughs> he's like one of those guys. And unfortunately, uh, he flipped his truck here before and then he just moved away and he flipped his truck again and it killed him. Yeah. Didn't survive. It's weird how you see the world, like especially like with Jackson and Max and... Um, I found out yesterday that a friend of ours Who, passed uh, yeah, away. A good friend of ours. Um, they're actually doing a karaoke fundraiser we have to go to. Yeah, definitely. Um, but it just really puts in perspective how quick everything can end. Oh. And I try to always fill my life with light, beautiful, amazing things. But the truth is, is that the world is weird. And as much as there is light, there is dark because yin and yang... But I've asked her these stories tonight, so hopefully, you know, you find solidarity or you can learn from others' lessons or you can just be like me. You can you can sit and you can listen and think of them. Use a platform to share experiences with people and yeah. grow together. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now, all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. You can live out your MasterChef dreams when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. 
Hey guys, it's Cheyenne Davis. You may know me from MTV's Teen Mom OG or Think Loud Crew podcast. I'm here with my dad, Papa Floyd, to tell you about our new podcast, Unfiltered Kitchen. The kitchen is the hub of the household for many of us. The one-stop shop for conversations both big and small. Cheyenne and I have been having open conversations about all aspects of life in our kitchen since well before she was able to see over the counter. And now we're inviting you into our own kitchen as a part of the family. Unfiltered Kitchen is a two-way street. I share my advice on cocktails, cooking, parenting, and the lessons I've learned. And I inform my dad what it's like to raise kids today, how generational barriers affect us, and the joys of being a daughter. Well, your daughter. Get ready for a whole lot of unfiltered advice. You can take it or leave it, but you're never going to leave this table feeling hungry for more. Listen to Unfiltered Kitchen wherever you get your podcasts. So something that I did mention in my Instagram post here is that I will be keeping everything anonymous. I'm not going to be really sharing emails or, or anything like that. But guys, again, one more warning. Maybe this podcast episode isn't for you. Maybe it is. Regardless of that, no matter what you're going through, please know that I love you. Okay. <clears throat> one of the scariest things that happened to me was when I was 12 years old. It was a couple of days before school started, and I was going into the sixth grade. My childhood home was just across the street from our small town's community center, and that day there was a big event going on. So there were many cars coming and going, and you could hear the music from our backyard. My black and tan coonhound, Scooby, was chained outside by his kennel, which was next to our garage, but separated by a walking path that led to our basement door. Our back alley was just beside his kennel, and our garage. My grandma had asked me to take her little chihuahua, Bandit, out to go potty, so I was dancing and playing in the backyard with Bandit while my Scooby slept. A white car pulled into the walkway in between the garage and the kennel. Scooby jumped up and started growling because a man started to get out of the car. Normally, he was very sweet and a very quiet dog. The man who didn't see him jumped back into his car. He yelled at me to get in his car or he'd kill my dog. Scooby kept growling, and I yelled at him to leave my dog alone. The man then grabbed a cattle prod and used it on Scooby through the window, causing him to fly backwards. But he got up and charged at the man, growling and barking, and the man did it again, yelling, Get in the car or the dog is dead. I ran into my basement door, but it was locked so I ran to the other side of our house. I told my grandma and mom that some guy was killing Scooby. When we went back outside, Scooby was unconscious, but alive. We notified the police. I was the second girl that this man unsuccessfully tried to kidnap in my small town. Weeks later, we had to put Scooby down because of the shocks caused to him by the tumors on his brain. The man was arrested in a neighboring state after taking another girl around my age, He's now in prison for several accounts of kidnapping, homicide, and one account of animal abuse for my Scooby. Oh my gosh. You know dogs with Selena and I. I'm a dog owner. Selena's a dog owner. The, you know what? They're, 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 the, the love from a dog, it really is unmatched. I have my Max. I'm looking at him right now. Um, He's in his end of life right now. I actually kind of thought last night he was going to go. Um... 
I remember when we moved in here, it was about 10 years ago, and I think we were probably two years in, and I had a back injury. So I was off work and I was alone and I just heard someone and Max was laying beside me and he just went full force down to the kitchen growling. And when I got to the kitchen, I just saw the tail end of a person like leaving, like, and I didn't know who it was. So Max just followed him out running out and he went around the front and it, someone had broken into her house, but that dog did not question for one second. And I had never seen him so angry. I'd never seen him so protective and he never left the property. He went to the front lawn. He growled like crazy, barked. And then he came in right to me and just started looking at me like, are you okay? Are you okay? Protecting you. And, you know, that's one thing. Like, anytime Adam is away, I have Max. Um, but, yeah, he's it's going to be so weird to go from four to two dogs in a month. Man. Does Max. Maisie protect you? Yeah, we do. They're so sweet, aren't they? Mm. I noticed my dog's name is Maisie. She strategically positions herself so she can, like, see me and the door look down the hallway but still see me you know what i mean like she's a pack leader mm-hmm. for sure mm-hmm. oh there's molly sorry if you guys hear the dogs or birds today um my husband's actually away so we, he's he's the tech guy so i'm really hoping that you're seeing video and audio because like i don't know we what don't I'm really doing. know what we're doing no but i think we're doing okay mm. like <laughs> the screen is red and when i talk the little white squigglies appear so so it has to be like yeah. <laughs> all right you read one anyways anyways <laughs> is everybody take a shot i've literally gotten to the point where i started pinching him when he says it. yeah just so everyone knows it's a drinking game anytime i say anyways yes yeah, so please let us know how drunk you get anyways <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> Hi, Selena. I hope this finds you and your loved ones well. This isn't a spooky story or anything. This is a confession. This is my biggest regret that I can never find forgiveness to give to myself. Throwback to middle school, eighth grade. I've have re- I have repressed a lot of years due to trauma, so I have no clue how old I was or even what year it was. I can tell you I'm 21 on 11-7, so if you want to do the math. Happy Eight- birthday. Happy birthday. Yeah, it just passed, right? 11 7 that's coming november out. 7 that's in a few days yeah. probably by the time the podcast is out anyways sorry okay anyways anyways eighth grade i was the left out kid the loner the fat kid the all this the that kid i had a phone and my hobby was catfishing people oh my god oh, relatable dangerous i would meet them on a site called omegle oh and, my gosh everyone's been on omegle what dude that the things i've seen molly Oh, guys, I'm so sorry. It's because she's thinking about the things that she's seen on Omegle. <laughs> she what's, what's the weirdest thing you've ever seen on there? Come on. Oh, honest. a lot of men's private parts. I, I, I literally had a dude once. I literally had a dude once be like, do you want to see me shove a needle through my penis? That's and okay. I said, yes. Too far. And he too put far. a needle. Yeah, too far. I don't want to know that. You remember chat roulette? Yeah. You guys Bro. ever mess around on chat roulette? That's, Let me know. It was so if scary. You messed around on chat roulette. Was, I'm gonna grab one of these puppies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this looks more fitting of your personality. Yeah. Okay. Anyways, I had a phone and my hobby was catfishing people. I'd meet them on this site called Omegle. On this site, you could put your interests so that you'd be connected to people of that interest. I would do sexual things and give my chatters to my KIK. KIK was a messaging app. Kick kick i've never heard of it uh one day i got on omegle and i met this guy i never sent him pictures of myself naked but i had sent pictures of myself sitting at a body mirror with short shorts on as my profile pic 
We would talk about sexual things, and he told me he was married with kids. This raised flags to me as I, as I would go on days where I would block him and unblock him, eventually sent him a pic of my mom's vibrator. I told him it was my mom's, and he said, wouldn't she get mad if she found out you have it? I said, well, I'd tell her to shut up, and I'll do what I want. I also told him stuff like what I was wearing and how school was and made up lies about my home and having sex with my sister. I don't even have a sister. I don't know why I lied. I was so disturbed in my head at the time. That's the only clear thing I can remember from this conversation. I can't even remember how long the ordeal went on. No longer a month or more at most. But I'm surely not finished. Come to find out this guy was an undercover agent. Contacted my parents with screenshots of everything. This led to DSS to come to my house and question myself and my parents. I know the time frame was in the winter because the DSS caseworker left. I ran outside and just cried and hated myself in the cold under a tree. I hated looking at myself. I hated being in my skin. I hated that I lied and created this fucked up person inside my head for attention. I hate that I was so evil when talking about my mom because in reality though my mom was still a rock. She's my best friend. My mom has forgiven me but sure as hell I have forgiven myself thank you for allowing me to vent selena i haven't told a single soul in my entire life only you thank you dude think of the stuff you've done inside on the internet that is like deep in the internet where you're like no one will ever know this i feel so bad because like i I, i've kind of been there younger when you like weren't getting attention you just say crazy stuff do you know what I mean? Like, did you just, like, think of when you're at a sleepover party with all these people. Like, you have, like, a boy sleep. You're looking at me like you can't relate. I Have you I been can't. a little shit on the internet at any point in your life, even when you were, like, nine? I was always a video game guy. Okay, like, I'll, I'll give you an example. Yeah. If, if our viewers know what MSN is. <laughs> oh I would start an MSN group chat with everyone. And this <laughs> is, like, when copy paste was like a new thing and like you'd like copy paste lol like a million times and like send it over and over and over and over again so it would like pop up that was me being a little that's shit that's the extent of you being, that a, little being a little shit that was like in like 2004 5 damn yo nah I feel so bad for it cause that's like that secret stuff you think that's your safe place where nothing's gonna happen but hey maybe you were headed down like a really bad road I'm so sorry that happened. I bet that straightened you right out. Mm. Oh my gosh. I definitely said bad things on Xbox Live. Yeah, I was back in the day. The head the head game. Oh, because they're like your mom. Oh. Bad stuff. (laughs) Mean things in video game lobbies. Like give give us an example. (laughs) Oh, I don't know. Come on, come on. You you know you remember. Hi Selena and Spooky Crew. Before I get into my secret, I wanna say thank you for sharing funny and emotional and serious content that you do. You're a special one, boo. You've helped me on my dark days. That means so much. I had a woman today um, at Home Depot um, say that I, I've helped her, like, smile when she's, like, going through, like, cancer stuff. So, like, I was like, oh, my God. That's why I do this. If, if for, like, 60 seconds a day I can make you a little distracted from the things going on around you, like, that's all that I really want. You're healing the world with comedy. Isn't that a Bo Burnham? It is from a song. Doesn't mean it's not true. I don't even do too much comedy. I don't even know what I'm... I'm at like this really weird point right now where like I don't know where I'm headed and I I don't know what to create next. Sometimes it's serious, sometimes it's a joke. I don't know. And I, I feel like if I'm not being totally crazy, nobody's actually watching anymore, you know? Haven't you heard that TikTok thing? I have no idea what I'm gonna do tomorrow. How exciting. That that is exciting. Mm-hmm. I know what we're doing in a couple of days, we're going to New York. Mm. That's gonna be insane catch us in new york city new 
york city we had to present an, i have to present an award a couple of them i'm excited anyways i've never been to new york city and she just said anyways anyway anyway yeah, you're gonna have to go to Times square and you're gonna have to see i <laughs> did you hear that did you hear it on the that microphone? is good podcast <laughs> okay okay here we go <clears throat> My story is one that I'm not proud of and I think about on a daily basis. Sorry if this jumps or is, or is missing parts. I'm not the best at writing. It all started a few years ago. My mom had moved her new boyfriend into the family home and fell hard for him. Let's call the boyfriend Ed. Now Ed wasn't and still isn't the nicest person and has so many narcissistic traits. One evening, Mom and Ed took me and my eldest brother out for dinner. It was going well. Dinner was tasty, the conversations were more positive than usual, and we had dessert coming our way. But before dessert had arrived, Mom had asked my brother a question. Do you think Ed and I should try for a baby one day? I was so against it. I said no before my brain even computed. I was almost outraged at the suggestion. It didn't feel like she gave enough love to me and our four siblings at the time. The love and attention she had was going to unfriendly Ed. How would she be able to share that with a new baby brother or sister? On top of that, Ed didn't have the best record with sticking around a parent and was horrible to my family, constantly trying to pin us against each other. But did I explain that this was why I felt like another baby wasn't a good idea? Nope but I wish I had. My blood boiled so much that day, I couldn't speak. I remember Mom sort of looked upset, but it wasn't the first time she'd asked us this question before. We've been asked a few times over the last 11 years. Why I'm so precise to the number is another story, but I won't go into that. Moving forward a month or so later, I'm in the bathroom, and I go to put something in the bathroom bin. When I open it, I find a negative pregnancy test staring back at me. I needed to talk to mom as soon as possible. So as soon as I got her on her own, I explained my find. When I asked why she had a negative pregnancy test, she said, don't worry about it. I'm not pregnant now. The reason mom and Ed asked about having a baby was because she was pregnant. Mom asked us because she was deciding whether to abort the baby or not. Our answer sealed the decision, and we didn't even know. And the test I found was to make sure that the abortion was a success. Only me, my boyfriend, my dad, mom, and Ed know about it to this day. I was made to keep it a secret from my siblings, but it pains me to hold on to this from them. I don't want them to feel the tremendous guilt that I hold, knowing that my words made my mom feel like she had to have an abortion. Writing this out sounds like I'm against abortion, but I am pro-choice. What you do with your body should be your choice alone. The way mom explained why she'd had an abortion was because she was pushed to. Pushed by all parties she'd either told about the pregnancy or those she questioned who weren't aware. Mom was always against herself having an abortion, so I know she must have been in a shitty position. She'd always been proud that she went against others' wishes and kept me when she fell pregnant with me as a teenager. I know this must have been an extremely painful time for her, without the secrecy too. And my pain is nothing in comparison. I had no clue what was going on, and I wish I was there to support her. That evening, I promised myself that I would never answer that bloody question again. 
Since then, my mom has had two more beautiful baby brothers with Ed, making seven of us kids altogether. The two little ones are so sweet, and they remind me of the baby every time I see them. Even though I can't tell anyone about the baby any time I'm asked how many siblings I have, I always say there's eight of us altogether. Sometimes my siblings correct it, and I have to pretend I got it wrong, which still hurts. It might sound silly that I do it this way. It's my way to make sure that they're remembered when I'm not allowed to say they even existed. It's been almost four years since I found out, and I hope that one day my mom will share the secret. But I'm not sure how I'll cope with everyone knowing that I was the reason the baby was aborted. I'm sorry for such a heavy email. Writing this has taken a while, but I'm glad I shared it with someone. I'm planning to get a tattoo on my arm, so there'll always be a physical reminder of them here on this earth. Boy, that's deep. Wow. Before anything, my opinion is your body, your choice. But, uh, yeah, wow, that's a deep one. That one's really hard. Abortion is... Well, the whole thing, too, is like, at the end of the day, you didn't know. And your mom simply asked for, you know, your opinion, and that was her choice, I guess. But I get that. There's so many things that, like, you can't help but feel guilty. Mm. You just can't. And And I know... I'm very pro-choice and I I get questioned about it a lot because of like all my fertility issues and and stuff like that. But I I remember, I think it was three days after like my my second and um, someone who was close to me needed help like getting an abortion. Um, I didn't even question them. I drove them. I waited. I was in so much pain and I literally sat there and I waited because it's their body. Mm Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. But that's that's a heavy story. I've, I've never even heard that kind of situation. The, you you could never even imagine that like kind I, of situation. Like, I understand. Like, she feels like she played a part. Mm-hmm. Like, she's a card in the deck. Yeah. But, yeah, boy, that's... Yeah, I don't want to... Min- I'm not wanting to minimize your guilt at all. Not at all. But at the same time, it's one of those tricky situations where it's easy to blame yourself. But it's also one of those things where, like, just my own opinion is, like, you didn't know. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, that's a tough one. You're up, buddy. Yeah. Uh, this one has no intro. Uh, it just starts out. I was nine when my father won emergency custody of me. My mother, my mother was a careless addict, and I suffered for years of physical and sexual abuse at the hands of her husband, my stepfather, whom struggling with schizophrenia and cocaine abuse. I was so happy and relieved to be with my father. He was my best friend. He never laid a hand on us growing up, and he was always a phone call away. I remember vaguely at all times he would show up to school with Timbits for my brother and I because school had called him to tell him we looked hungry and beaten. Years and years in the court system, dealing with DCS, he never won. My mother and stepfather's lies always prevailed. My father always came across as too angry and the angry ex, and we were labeled as troubled children whom to just started, who just wanted to start lies. So you can understand why I felt so much relief being with my father when he finally won me in an emergency court. It's time to turn off the lights and turn on the dark. <laughs> this is Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. Good evening, listener. I'm Steve Taylor, your host to a horror anthology podcast 
where we ask you to depart from your safe perception of reality to descend with us into the frightening depths and dark corners of twisted imaginations. With carefully curated original tales of terror each week, our deepest rooted fears are brought to the forefront by a diverse cast of voice talent and masterfully eerie sound design that bring these stories to life. We'll give you tales of unnerving encounters with the occult, harrowing hauntings, and sinister seances that show just how darkness knows no bounds. If you're like us here at Chilling Tales and enjoy feeling your stomach filling with dread as dastardly demons dance in your head, make sure to check out Chilling Tales for Dark Nights on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts to subscribe now to always be the first to enjoy the horror show. Hey everyone, I'm Devin Werkheiser. I'm Lindsay Shaw. And I'm Daniel Curtis Lee. And we are the hosts of Ned's Declassified Podcast Survival Guide. Ever wonder what happened to Ned Mose and Cookie? Well, we're back. We helped you guys survive middle school. And now we're helping you survive adulthood. On Ned's Declassified Podcast Survival Guide, we are rewatching episodes, bringing you special guests like Coconut Head and Janitor Gordy, and catching up on the last 15 years. We're talking about everything from dating mishaps to mental health and maintaining friendships, and asking the question, how do do we survive adulthood? Maybe we don't always have the answers, but we're going to figure it out together. Come join us. So pause that podcast you're listening to and subscribe to Ned's Declassified Podcast Survival Guide (laughs) on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. (laughs) I moved far away with him and my new stepmother to the country. They were a picture-perfect couple. Everyone loved them. It was a very small community, so everyone knows how to speak to everyone. They spewed to the whole community that I was troubled, adorable child that I was a, I was this troubled, adorable child they saved from an abusive home, which was no lie, but they clearly loved the attention and the compliments they received for saving me. I was ready for a new life, no abuse, freedom, love, food, routine, support, the list goes on. As a child coming from such an abusive, neglectful environment, my new house was beautiful. It was large, and compared to the small half-home duplex I came from that had four kids and two adults in it, my new house had a beautiful spiral staircase, massive open kitchen, big yard for me to play. Life felt almost surreal, but it didn't take long for my happiness to turn into fear, fear for my life. Behind closed doors, my father had the mindset of a cult leader, and he was extremely degrading towards women. His abu- he's abusive in every single way except sexual. I remember coming down the stairs for school in what I thought was a cute, comfy, skinny jeans outfit. I was told, you look like a whore, just like your mother. I was made to change and throw those pants in the garbage. When I spoke and tried to apologize, I was silenced with, one word is one month from grounding. My father had this idea because I'd spent years with my mother. I needed saving in his eyes. All he saw was my mother. I played with little girl's makeup and with a friend one day. I was caught and told, if you don't want to get raped on the wharf, stop looking like a whore. Eventually, I wasn't allowed to be with my friends at their house, nor mine, unless he checked in every 20 to 30 minutes. 
He would call when I was at a friend's house. Every 30 minutes, he would ask what I was doing, who I was with, what I was wearing, and essentially just accuse me of things. I wasn't even allowed to go to the store with my friend and her mother without calling and asking first. The control was surreal. I soon realized what my mother ran from. The only downside was that I no longer had any ties to her. My father told me she didn't want to have contact anymore and stopped calling. This proved to be a lie many years later. He just kept changing our house and phone numbers so she couldn't call. It wasn't long before the verbal abuse became a daily thing. I couldn't even touch my hair, twirl it in my fingers without being called out. I was so besides myself. I'm almost 11 now, contemplating taking my own life, every day begging for someone on the outside to see my pain. The abuse, the trauma, every day. I was made to do chores while he watched. If it wasn't done right, I was screamed at and beaten. My stepmother would often join in. They'd tell me like they'd tell me this is likely why I was abused by my stepfather because I quote am stupid and useless. I started asking to go for walks, which I had to earn through chores. On this walk, I would walk to the boardwalk, only five minutes away. Such a beautiful spot. The water was usually so calm, even if the current was wild and angry. I still felt so much peace there. The boardwalk became a safe place to me. I used to think about drowning myself off the boardwalk, thinking about not a soul will ever care. She thought of leave. The thought of leaving my cousin Jonathan broke my heart, so I never attempted. I resorted to cutting when I was alone at the boardwalk, which my father discovered, and then I was banned from walks. He told me if I ever catch you doing that again, I'll show you what a real cut is. While holding my wrist tight, flicked my cuts and shoved me away from him. I felt so empty. I wanted to hide so badly, just go into a shell and never come back. Clearly no one cared. I was alone in such a massive world with such pain for me as a child. I eventually resorted to staying in my room almost all day. To my unfortunate luck, it didn't stop the verbal, the verbal abuse, which rage building up inside of me. I began to try and politely stand up for myself, which got me shoved into a wall. Every word I spoke back, regardless of my polite tone, got me a month of grounding. Either an insult or physical shove, a throw of something, smash his fists on the table, smash his fists on the table, etc. My room became my safe haven. If only I could hide in my room, I thought to myself. One day I realized, what's this piece of wood on the wall behind my dresser? It's a door. A very small door. I thought to myself, should I open it? I pondered, said screw it, and I did. It was a very small attic. Looked cozy inside. I decided to go in. I brought in my battery candle lights and blanket and other cozy things and it became my new hideout. I decided to start documenting everything that was happening to me and that at the hands of my father and stepmother. Daily entries. I documented the things that had also happened to my mother's. I decided maybe one day my story will be heard. But by who? And by how? The journal I noticed had small hole the journal. I noticed a small hole in the floor of the attic, so I put the journal there and gently tucked it in place. When I was 15, I ended up running away from that house with nothing but the clothes on my back. Five hours on the stretch of a highway back to the only thing I ever knew, back to my mother, where I ended up essentially homeless and starting my new life from scratch. I live every day praying and hoping maybe someone will hear slash see my story and know that life can go on, even after trauma even after severe abuse, whatever it is, there is light at the end of the tunnel. You might not see that right now, but it's there. Don't ever stop fighting for yourself. Don't ever stand down. Don't ever stop being you. So unapologetically, don't ever stop being strong. Live your life voraciously and don't ever let abusers bring you down. And then there's a heart emoji. I am so proud of you. Whoever we you are. We totally agree. 
I'm so proud of you. We, we agree, right? And I'm so sorry for living that and, and having to go through that. It, it blows my mind that someone can, you know, have this baby and look at them and not want to treat them in any other way than fucking gold. Do you know what I mean? It's like, incredible. <coughs> I totally agree. You have to stand up for yourself. And a wise man, it was actually a girl I was dating when I was like 12, her dad, a wise man once told me, it's important to be nice, but if you're too nice, people will walk over you. Mm-hmm. And it's important in life not to let people walk over you. Because if I'm you, I'm so curious where this person is now, dude. Right? I'm curious how old they are. I want to know how things turned out. So if you hear this and you hear your story, please email me. Like, put a whole bunch of like gold star emojis in the subject. I think everyone's gonna want to hear that what what happened next. Like, I'd love to update everybody on that one because that was. You're like <sighs> a phoenix from the ashes. Hey. You know, you're ever a success story. Everyone loves. And a success I love that story. after everything you went through, you could say. Don't Keep ever fighting. stand down. Don't ever stop being you unapologetically. Don't standing, ever stop being strong. Standing up for who you are and what you believe in is the most powerful thing in the world. And, you know, the bigger the moves, the less it's questioned. But I'm really proud of you. And thank you so much for writing in. Wow. Yeah, that was a good one. Okay. I'm on next. In 2019, I was a senior in college and so ready to graduate and take on the world. I'd lived such a privileged life. I was born with a roof over my head, food in my belly, amazing family, a great school system, natural talent in sports and smarts in school. From the time I started college, I was motivated, maintaining a 3.95 GPA. I was involved in competitive cheerleading training four to six days a week, and I had a part-time job as a bartender. Needless to say, life was good. One day, my life changed completely. I woke up that Saturday with a typical schedule in my mind. Breakfast, cheer, lunch, cheer, dinner, work. The only thing that was missing was my phone, which I'd lost the night before on a typical 21-year-old freshly legal night out. I had a weird feeling in the pit of my stomach all day, but I couldn't place why. After practice, my mother had called my teammate who I was with, saying she needed to see me and talk to me. The off-putting feeling for got stronger. We made our way back to my college apartment, and when we arrived, I saw that my mother was there, standing in the parking lot with my brother, who, for the record, I barely ever saw. They both seemed off. We rode the elevator up to my apartment, and everyone was silent. Once we walked in, they turned to me and hugged me. My brother then said to me, Dad died. I didn't even process the statement. All I could do was scream. My brother proceeded to tell me that he killed himself. At that point, I was inconsolable. I had never felt so alone, even in the presence of family. I truly don't know where I'm going with this story. All I know is that suicide destroys lives and destroys families. I love my dad, and I always will, and it haunts me and will always haunt me. To know that he felt so low and so alone that he decided to leave this earth. I know it's not my fault. Suicide is never anyone's fault. But all I can say is that someone you love intentionally leaving this world leaves a most massive hole in your heart. I later found out that he hung himself in our shed. The shed that he's always been hanging out in, working on projects for the house. 
the shed that I had been wandering into as soon as I could walk, because I knew that's where I could find him. My mother found him. My mom didn't deserve that, to find the love of her life hanging lifeless. My best friend's father, who works for our police department, had to cut him down, and I've never seen so much trauma and such pity in someone's eyes, but that's what I saw when he looked at me. My father died on February 2nd, 2019. That day will forever be etched in my brain. I have yet to step foot in that shed, even two years later. I pray that he's with me, and I sob every time I think of him. My college graduation, my first real job, my home ownership, my brother's engagement. Anyways, I'm not sure if this was spooky or a confession, but I hope it helps. Thank you so much for sharing your story, and I'm so sorry for your loss. I feel, my grandmother used to say this thing, whenever, you know, there was a suicide, she'd say they just weren't in their right mind. And I feel like it's such a personal decision. And I don't believe when people say it's like a cowardly thing to do. I just feel like your mind is so wrong at the time. But thank you for sharing your story. And I'm I'm sure that more people will find strength in it. Yeah, thank you for sharing. That is, uh, suicide is, <coughs> yeah, that's, that's the tough one. We have a lot of it that goes on here. Um, in 2016, it was a really wild time for our town. We didn't know what was really going on, but every single month for, what was it, like 10 months? Eight months? Yeah, I, I thought they closed the high schools, but I, d- I guess they didn't. There was, I didn't know what the terminology to use here is, but there was like a pact among teenagers? Well, no, that was the thing. No one ever figured out what it was, but I think it just ended up being coincidence. Mm. But every single month close to the date like every month like within the month not within the same month but every month a different teenager from the different high schools around um completed suicide and i remember them taking like to the street and like all of these rallies because like it was it was like a pandemic yeah i don't know what was going around our town that year but some weird since high school have you there's been a couple people since high school right for you Oh, there has been, yeah. It's weird because, like, you you remember them. You see them in your yearbook. I know. I remember talking to her in math class. And I remember having a conversation about why she didn't like skipping because it was boring. You just sit in the park and then she would rather sit in math class. And And sometimes the way people do it, too, is so dramatic. I I remember... Personal. Content warning. (laughs) I remember this this one boy who I had gone to high school with. um, He had left a letter... And he went out in his car on the highway and he drove straight into a semi. Oh, yeah. And I know that, that that truck driver just never recovered. How could you? It wasn't fair to involve somebody else. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But anyways, your turn. Yeah, that's a dark one. Yeah. Jesus. <clears throat> this is a pretty long one. So no. Hi, this is my sad confessional story. Trigger warning for sexual, physical abuse, suicide, and cutting. (coughs) When I was six years old, my mom married a man. We called him Dan. He was very persistent on adopting me because my birth father had abandoned me and my mom before I was born because his he chose the other son over me and said he never wanted to have a daughter. When I was seven, the adoption was final. I finally had a father. Everything was decently fine for the next few years. There was a few instances leading up to when it all went to hell. 
He got really bad when I turned 12. Dan was a painter. He didn't have a reliable work, so my mom was the one who provided and put food on the table. Because of this, she was always at work. Once I was 12, Dan changed. He was angry all the time. He would argue with my mom about the littlest things. He would never let me go outside to play. If I was allowed to, I couldn't be late. Even if I was one minute late, he would get in his truck and drive around the neighborhood to find me, throw me into the truck, and drive me home. This was when the beatings and abuse started. He would take a big wool blanket and cover my face until I passed out. Cue my claustrophobia. He would starve me for days and then put me in front of a mirror in my undies and show how skinny I was. Then he would force feed me for days and then put me back in front of the mirror and tell me how fat I was. Then I was three or four days of starving started again. This went on for months. I wish I could say things got better. I wish I could say that thing, these things to my mom and she f would finally have listened to the hundred phone calls. I would make a day and try to tell her what was going on, but that didn't happen. It got worse. The sexual abuse, the emotional abuse, and the mental trauma I endured almost made me commit suicide. I got very close a few times but was too scared to go through with it, so I cut myself to feel something. I would have had to done so have done something sexual to get food or go outside or just do anything. He told me I deserved this. He told me this is what a father-daughter relationship was. I believed him because I didn't know better. I believed it because I never had a father figure who cared for me. I've told my friends this story and they always ask, why didn't you say anything? I tried, but I was in fourth grade. We had a lady talk to us about appropriate behavior and how if someone touched us that it wasn't okay and we needed to tell an adult. I spoke up because Dan would come into my bedroom at night and touch me. He said it was normal for a dad to sleep next to their daughters and cuddle them. They started an investigation but determined I was lying. And then he hit me again that night. Once Dan and my mom were getting a divorce, I was 14. He asked me if I could, t he asked if he could take me out for dinner for that night. And my mom said it was okay. She didn't know about the abuse. She gave me her cell phone for emergencies. Dan took me to his house, a woman's house. He told me to stay in the truck while he went inside for about 30 minutes. During this time, I was texting my sister and I didn't see him come out. He grabbed the phone from me and immediately started going through it and writing down names and phone numbers. Then he called up all the numbers and yelled at the guys because he was convinced my mom was sleeping with them. When he wasn't paying attention, I tried to take the paper back from him. He saw this and beat me up in his truck. We sat in an abandoned parking lot for two hours and he was still going through my phone. I was hysterical because I thought he was going to die that night. He called the cops and said that I attacked him and need they, they needed to take me home. I told him what happened and their response was, well, it's okay for parents to discipline their kids, and you took something that wasn't yours. They said since there wasn't a mark on me, evidence, they couldn't do anything. They brought me home and immediately went to bed. I, they brought me home and I immediately went to bed because I couldn't deal with what happened that night. It wasn't until I was about 17 years old that the truth came out. I told a friend who told her dad who told her mom, and she immediately called the cops and they started an investigation. <coughs> because there was no evidence to my story, the whole thing, he said, she said... Well, all I could do was get a restraining order against him to stay away from us, which he broke four times. I remember being pulled into the office in high school and talking to two female detectives and retelling everything he did to me. They told me what he did wasn't my fault and it's not he what a healthy relationship was. They told me that he had raped me and robbed me of my childhood. I finally broke down and when they said that, I didn't want to see that way growing up and I not knowing that, I was traumatized. We ended up going to court against him. He tried to give up his parental rights. He told the judge, she's not my daughter. I don't care and I don't want her and I never did. I took pity on her because her own father didn't want her. The judge said 
that he was not allowed just to give me up and that he is going to have to pay child support, which he never did. He said I was abandoned once and he wasn't going to do that to me again. Because there was no evidence towards my story, he wasn't going to get any jail time for that. He only got jail time for breaking the restraining order, which equaled one month behind bars. He got away with screwing up my life. Due to what he did to me, I've struggled with eating disorders and lack of trust in men my entire life. He had an addiction to sex because it was the way he felt in control, depression, anxiety, and a lot of abandonment issues. I'm now happily married with four babies at the age of 26 years old, but I still have nightmares. I still struggle struggle with problems. I hope to never see him again in my life. I've only hated one person in my life, and I'm sure you can guess who that is. I wish nothing but misery for him as I can go, as I cannot forgive nor can i forget what i endured i'm better now because i surrounded myself with good people but because of him i will never truly be okay that's a dark one court system is a joke oh police i'm so sorry for what you dealt with and i'm so sorry you still deal with it but i'm glad that you have a family of your own and i feel like you know the it's such a weird thing to say but i feel like a lot of people who have like dealt with trauma they they really make sure that the next generation you know, don't. Mm. Jeez. That's a tough one. <clears throat> Hi, Selena. First of all, I hope you're doing well. I'm sorry for the emotional feelings my story may cause. When I was three years old, my mom met a man, and after a while, we moved in with him. Things were great until she got pregnant. After my brother was born, things got really bad for me and my mom. He became very controlling and abusive. As far as my mom knew, he was the he was only that way towards her. However, there were many things he did to me that she still doesn't know. I'm 23 years old. I was 5 when the abuse started. He abused me sexually, he abused me mentally, emotionally as well. He used to say I was worthless and fat and ugly. Who says that to a 5-year-old little girl? He also abused me physically. He had this thick branch that he took off of a tree in our front yard and he used it to hit me. I'll insert a picture of the tree he used to get it from. No matter what I did, that branch was his go-to. He used to give me ten minutes to shower. I had super thick hair that reached all the way down to my butt. It was impossible for me to wash my hair completely in that short amount of time. If I took too long, he'd come into the bathroom in the middle of my shower and beat me with that branch. I remember this one time, I threw the branch away, and he asked me where it was. I told him I didn't know. He called me a liar and proceeded to yell at me. He went outside and got an even thicker branch than the one he had before, and he beat me with it. I used to pee my pants a lot when I was younger because I was always so afraid. He used to hang my dirty underwear on the window so that everyone could see how nasty I was for peeing my pants. He used to threaten me by telling me that he would force me to wear a sign that said I was a liar or that I was nasty and make me walk around in public. He loved to publicly humiliate me. I remember this one time in elementary school I peed my pants, so the school called my mom to pick me up. She couldn't because she was working, so he had to pick me up. There was a fire drill scheduled for that day, and of course it would start when he arrived to pick me up. The teacher said I could skip the fire drill and go home since I had an accident. He didn't let me. He forced me to participate in the fire drill with the rest of the school in my wet pants. I had to stand there for almost an hour through the fire drill, surrounded by my classmates in peed pants. I remember it like it was yesterday. I must have been six or seven years old. To this day, I have not forgotten that feeling of humiliation I had. I was so embarrassed. 
We finally moved out when I was around eight, when my mom had enough of him. I was grateful, but it didn't end there. I lived with the guilt of what happened to me, and I couldn't bear to think about what would happen if I told anyone. He threatened me by saying he'd kill my mom and brother if I ever told anyone. Of course, I believed him. I finally told my mom when I was 11 years old, but only because my brother had told him about something he had done to him, his own son. She immediately hugged us and called the police. I'm so grateful that she believed us, that she believed me even though it happened years before, that she listened to us and told us that it wasn't our fault. She apologized for not seeing the signs. I don't blame her. I'm happy she believed me when I finally told her. We had to deal with court battles for years after. The last court appointment we had was when I was 19. That was four years ago. The court didn't arrest him, and he never went to jail for what he did. He is free to live his life as if nothing happened. As for me, my life has always been downhill. Every time something positive happens to me, something worse comes along. It's not fair. I never got justice for what he did to me. I tried for so long to move on and get better, but it's hard. So many bad things have happened to me since. It's hard to believe that things will ever get better. Moral of the story, believe your kids, pay attention to the signs, follow your gut. Thank you for taking time to read my story. That sucks. Again, the court system is a joke. They never believe kids, eh? I hate that, especially if there's some amount of time and it's like, do you not hear how dangerous this person is? They're going to do that same shit again. Ugh. It's just the worst. Um, so I just had, this will be our last story here. I just actually had one come in from someone who, who I really adore. Okay. <clears throat> He's searching the house again. Drawers are pulled out. I know what's coming. I'd flushed them days ago. The desperation of frantically texting every contact he had in his phone to stop feeling the guilt of hurting me one more time. He promised to never do it again. I disposed of his relief. I always gave in and helped him find something to take. The anger was too much. I couldn't take another word, another bruise, or another night turned back to back. It was like putting a wet towel on your face when you were overheating. When he finally took something, I had peace again. It never fixed the root issue. I just gave some relief for a little while. But how long will it last this time? And how much more pain do I have to endure? As we lay on the couch, searching apps to hear a baby's heartbeat, I knew those apps weren't real, but I felt joy in hearing something. The heartbeats coming through the phone speaker gave us so much joy, and it had given me hope. He kissed my stomach over and over. He finally had me. I knew something was wrong when I'd went to the bathroom days prior. I bled. That shouldn't happen. If I dare tell him, I couldn't take another argument. The baby feels what I feel. I can't react. When he had threw me down days prior, I felt a sharp pain in my lower back, like something just disconnected. My head went fuzzy and I ran into the bathroom. He was inches away, yelling through a wooden door, but it felt like I was in another country. I felt safe. A small metal lock made me feel like everything was okay. The shouting, I'd block out. I could hear my own thoughts. It was just static. He had fallen asleep, sitting against the door. 
I didn't leave until he got up in the morning to take the dogs for a walk. I walked into the doctor's office, excited to see if we were having a boy or a girl. As the doctor prodded my stomach, searching for the spot, I knew. The doctor looked at me and told me, there's no heartbeat. His head fell onto my legs and the tears flooded. I just couldn't express my own. Was it relief? Or sadness? Did I really want this man's child? I still question to this day if what I felt in that moment, what I felt in that moment, I had been so used to being hurt, I couldn't mourn the loss of my child. I wish I had known in this moment that I'd lose three more and that my body would have suffered ir irreversible damage. The doctor told me to go home and that the baby would come out naturally. Days without moving on that silver couch, that damn crushed velvet silver couch where I had conceived you. I was waiting for the pain to strike me of my dead child leaving my body. Nothing happened. I just kept bleeding, legs apart with a towel underneath me. Over the course of four days, I called six ambulances. They all told me to wait, that it would happen naturally. I remember feeling like I was going to die. He would comfort me, but also throw digs at me for not being able to keep the house clean. I couldn't move from the pain. I had bled so much, I bled through onto my couch. The ambulance finally came to check on me, and they rushed me to the hospital. I remember waiting to be seen, lying in a bed in the hospital corridor. They were ten steps away. I could hear happy screams of women welcoming their children into the world. This isn't fair. Who decided putting me into this exact spot was a good idea? After hours of pain, still no child. They had examined me. My cervix was closed. They didn't want me to leave, nor did I want them to. My baby was dead inside of me for three weeks, when I didn't know I'd lost them. I'd made sure my bath water wasn't too hot, just in case it felt like a hot tub in there. I didn't want this child. I cared for so, so much. I just didn't love the person who gave it to me. She placed three tablets inside me and said, If you need anything, just ask. And he was by my side, of course. He was heartbroken. A child was the only thing stopping me from leaving him. He's scared. He comforted me the best he could. It was the most emotion I had seen from him my whole time knowing him. <clears throat> Two hours later, I had asked him to join me on the bed. I just needed a hug. I'm in excruciating pain. And my cervix is opening, and it felt like I needed somebody. I had a flush of relief, like I'd just taken drugs. I had said not a word, and I stumbled to the toilet, where I had earlier put a brown toilet catcher thing. I sat there... And there they were. And he was bigger than expected. I sat in silence for a while before telling him I wanted time. I inspected my child to see inside its sack. It's something I'll never unsee. I called him in, and without hesitation, he ran to the nurse and told her it's done. She took my child off me. I asked where they'd be going. They said, to a testing lab, to understand why this loss happened. She put them into she put them into a clear fluid and I asked to hold it. She said, I've never had someone ask me that before. Like I was strange. You just put my child into a tube. 
I didn't fight it. I had no energy. She walked away with them. And to this day, I still don't have a lab confirmation on why they died. But I know. Within 30 minutes, I was waiting outside in the cold with him. My legs were shaky and I had no strength in me. We were on our way home. I'm on the couch, watching dog videos, the only thing that would cheer me up, ever. I'm still bleeding and in pain, but that didn't stop him. He pulled my trousers down and got on top of me. I pulled his head to the side of mine and squeezed him right towards my body so he wouldn't see. I had my eyes closed with tears running down my face. It had only been two hours since my dead child exited where he entered. Yeah, that one was too much for me. That's... I'm very sorry for your loss. And I can only pray that you aren't with that person. And that you found happiness. For everyone's stories that we read tonight, I want to say thank you for having the strength to share your stories with us and to all the people who are listening i'm curious do you like episodes like this i know it was dark but i appreciate you being here and i also want to say as usual no matter what you're going through no matter how hard it is everything can change tomorrow it did for me life is weird the world is weird it just keeps getting weirder but there is beauty out there and there are people out there that you will find that will make you feel on fire in a good way. Joel, do you have any final thoughts? Oh, I just want to thank everyone for writing in. Please keep writing in. We uh, really enjoy reading these stories and yeah, you know, I'm sending my best wishes to everyone out there. Everyone who wrote to me and is a success now and proud of you. And Even the ones that aren't successes, I'm proud of you for getting up each day and living your life. Um, I would like to put a call out to everyone. Do you want to write me some short horror stories, made up ones? I'd love to do a story sharing your works of writing, if you're down. Anyways, guys, I do love you so much. Thank you for tuning in. This has been Selena Spooky Boo and... Hi, I'm Joel. <laughs> Have a great night, Boo Crew. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now, all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. 
LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. 